0: It's go time on the Rural Radio Network and another edition of Midday. Welcome to uh, kind of a snowy Monday. And uh, believe it or not, there's a pretty good portion of the state that's still under advisories and that sort of thing. Although some of us, surprise, got uh, just a dusting of snow. Isn't that right, Susan?
1: About 8 o'clock, it turned to those snow globe flakes. Just those big, beautiful flakes that you like to see in springtime because, you know, they're packed with moisture.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And it's so fun to scoop. We will have an interesting story coming up about that with our own Paul Perkins here in a little while. Uh, Tell us what the ag team is tackling today. First of all, it's uh, beef checkoff time, isn't it?
1: It is. We're going to catch up with the new chairman of the Cattlemen's Beef Board, who happens to be from Dodge, Nebraska. Joan Ruskamp will join me at 117 to talk about some of the works that are going on right now for the beef checkoff. Then, at, jump back to 1219, Bryce talks with We Support Ag as they talk about the ELDs and the hours of service that are going on. A lot of concern for the livestock producers there. And then, over the noon hour, just in time while you're sitting down to lunch, we're going to talk about wheat stem maggot issues. And Shaley will bring us an update, a big issue for our wheat producers. Let's just throw one more thing at them with the dry weather scene in the south. Now we've got to deal with some stem maggot issues.
0: Yeah, you should have seen Jason Jorgensen's face when you talked wheat stem maggots here at lunchtime.
1: Well, you tell Jason, well, he can hear me, I guess. He can <laughs> yeah. just go on the website and see pictures of it if that helps.
0: Thanks, Susan. That's great.
1: You're welcome. I'm there for you. <laughs> it's
0: like looking at his menu for what he brought from home today. All right. <laughs> Thanks very much, Susan. Jason on sports today.
2: Lots and lots of upsets. Uh, first couple of rounds of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. It, it truly was March Madness. A lot of the heavyweights have been knocked out. Kansas and K-State were able to advance. Kansas State was able to win last night. We'll give you a kind of a rundown and a quick recap of what took place over the weekend. Also coming up in sports, how about Nebraska Wesleyan? Their men claim the D3 championship as they were able to win that over the weekend first national championship in school history. Uh, for the Prairie Wolves in basketball. So congratulations absolutely. to them. That's, uh, that's a heck of an accomplishment to get that done. And if you missed it over the weekend, North Platte native Danny Woodhead on social media announced that he is retiring from the NFL. Of course, he doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. He he got that proved a long time ago. But at 33 years old, coming off some injuries, he's decided to uh, hang it up. What a run he had.
0: Boy, absolutely. And, I, you know, and it feels kind of bad. How does it feel, Jason, to have some of your contemporaries saying, I'm done?
2: Yeah, I remember watching him in
0: high school. Absolutely, so, uh, yeah. you know, it just goes to show we're, yeah. we're all getting older. Yeah, but, you
2: know, Danny Woodhead is 33 years old. I understand that Teron Liu is stepping away. Yes, uh, he's had some issues, some health issues. Trying to manage LeBron James would do that to a person. <laughs> so he's taking an indefinite leave of absence from the Cavs.
0: Well put. Bob broken on business. Tech stocks are leading the market lower at midday. Uh, Facebook sank 7.5% in heavy trading today. Uh, In other action, though, Facebook intends to expand its data center in the Papillion area. So some bad and some good in today's uh, business news. We'll have more on that coming up. All right. And there's lots more coming your way today on Midday. Okay, now I know that we put you on alert for your great story with uh, with Paul Perkins, and here is our opportunity to do that. It is your Ag Weather, brought to you today by Kuhlman Repair. Tell us about this new meteorological term that's been coined today.
3: We're, we're going to call it glue snow, because <laughs> it, it was some very sticky snow today. Not everybody got in on this glue snow. As you look at some webcams around the area, you go to Grand Island, nothing on the ground, but in towards portions of Lexington and points to the south about four to five inches of that very heavy wet snow. Had to scoop the snow off the satellite dishes because it was affecting our Fox News programming this morning. Yeah. The glor- the glamours of radio here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, sweeping that off couldn't it would not come off whatsoever and then the the, on the snow that was stuck on the broom, you had to really bang it against the post to even get that to
0: fall off. But yeah, That's right. We broom off the satellite dishes here. This is part of the job description for the morning guy here at KRVN. So if you ever wanted that job, think. Twice or three times about it. Here's Paul Perkins.
3: Especially when it comes to driving through some major slush today. We do have a little bit of a rain-snow mix in central portions of Nebraska. Neely to Albion. Also a band of some snow in south-central Nebraska. Grand Island towards the Hastings area down into north-central Kansas. Another scattered band of some snow and rain scattered from Around the Valentine and Ainsworth area, down through North Platte and Puriel, just to the west of McCook on it to northwest Kansas and Colby and Hoxie. That will all gradually slide towards east today. That rain and snow remaining likely today, mainly, though, uh, across Nebraska and northern Kansas. Southern Nebraska and northern Kansas is where we're seeing a lot of this as that area of low pressure tracks east out of southeast Kansas on the backside of the system. As temperatures continue to warm during the day, that snow becoming more rain, but then we'll see that precipitation come to an end tonight. But still, the temperatures cooling down and any rain will probably transmit a uh, switch back over to a little more snow mixed in. Skies begin to clear tonight from west to east later on as high pressure builds from the west. Tuesday through Thursday a ridge of high pressure moving overhead that's going to give us some dry weather and a major warming trend especially by the end of the week we're looking at highs in the upper 60s and probably even better farther southwest rain chances return as soon as Thursday night as more low pressure approaches looks like our better chance of rain going to be over the weekend with that system as another low tracks across Kansas mostly rain possible early on after cold front passes we could see a rain snow mix later in the weekend but Probably not to the extent that we saw uh, this morning in some areas. In our long-term forecast, temperatures will range from right around seasonal to slightly cooler than normal in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the 1st of April. So March ending on a somewhat cooler note. Late March highs in central Nebraska usually, though, average in the mid-50s with overnight lows in the upper 20s to around 30. Our precipitation outlook expects near normal to drier than normal weather in both Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through April 1st. Key weather factors driving the market include some beneficial precipitation in parts of Kansas and dry weather continuing in Argentina. The next few days, significant late winter storms affecting both the east and the west coast here in the U.S. The storm now over the central plains, reaching the mid Atlantic coast by midweek, could see total precipitation of one to two inches from the mid Mississippi Valley to the mid Atlantic. Across the southeast, severe thunderstorms may occur later today into tomorrow. Tomorrow, California could see some flooding rain and some mudslides with this system moving on on the west coast. Now, the rain for the central and east part of Kansas last night and today looking to be favorable, but more will be needed to end the drought concerns and little is expected after today. Showers across southwest Kansas into Oklahoma and Texas. Definitely not enough to ease the dryness concerns. In Argentina, they received some beneficial rain towards northern Buenos Aires. The rains failed to reach key growing areas, though, of Cordoba and Santa Fe. And that's where further losses are expected to the filling crops, especially the soybeans.
0: Ag Weather with Paul Perkins, brought to you today by Coleman Repair. Now, hopefully, that'll break up that hard pan a little bit in that portion of uh, western Kansas. It's finally getting a little bit of something on top of what's been so, so dry.
3: But yeah, they kind of missed out on a lot of it. But yeah, southeast Kansas this morning, we have thunderstorms right now into western Missouri, but we saw some. Uh, fairly decent thunderstorms over southeast Kansas this morning. All
0: right. well, the south still very, very, very dry. Any more chances for additional glue snow? <laughs> Probably
3: not. Not. Okay. It's not expecting to be, but you know, just a degree or two difference yeah. in temperature, it can really make a difference from. Switching that rain over to snow
0: or back in over to some rain. Yep. Uh, we've had a pretty good whip around on all of that precipitation. So maybe it's not over. We're still under some, uh, some advisories in some parts of our region until later on this evening, at least the way it's laying out right now. When you need weather anytime,
3: you can go to KRBN.com. The
1: 2018 trends in Nebraska farmland values and rental rates have been released. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. The average market value of farmland in Nebraska declined by 3% over the prior year to $2,745 per acre. That according to the 2018 Nebraska Farm Real Estate Market Survey. This marks the fourth consecutive year of downward pressure. Market values have dropped 17% since reaching a high of $3,315 in 2014. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln Department of Agricultural Economics annual surveyed Nebraska land professionals, including appraisers, farm and ranch managers, and agricultural bankers. Results from the survey are divided by land class and summarized by the eight agricultural statistic districts in the state of Nebraska. The sale of U.S. pork muscle cuts have been strong to start the year, but pork variety meat exports are down. Cork Chekhov Vice President of International Marketing is Craig Morris. He says the impressive numbers are being seen despite being down in key areas.
4: We're well off our uh, January 17 pace, uh, being down from 27% to our top market of China, Hong Kong. Um, But the value to that market, as I talked about, was down only 3%. So the, the volume was way down to China, again down 27%, but the value was only down 3%. That is the lowest exports to China uh, since January of 16. And uh, for Hong Kong, that was our lowest since November of 15. Mexico was steady uh, with last year by volume, but value was up 3%. Korea was a real bright spot for pork variety and exports, uh, being nearly double, up 94% over last January, and the highest uh, month we've had since April of 2014. The value of Korea was up a staggering, and this is just unbelievable, 147% for pork variety meats, uh, worth fully $4.5 million. Now, I think in summary, export value for pork and pork variety meats for January brought in some $50.93 a head. That's up 1% or 70 cents a head processed from last year.
1: Overall, U.S. pork exports are up over last year for the month of January. The value of the U.S. dollar is one consideration.
4: I think we're doing really well for two reasons. One, we've put a a heavy priority on diversification, making sure, again, that we don't have all that bacon in one basket. But one of the things that's keeping us in those markets that are having strong demand uh, is a very competitive price point on our pork.
1: Europe has been very competitive in the export market, but Morris says the U.S. has seen pork muscle cut sales increase. Groundwater regulators in Nebraska could have a tougher time financing water conservation projects that, after a bill they endorsed, died in the legislature. But some lawmakers say that the measure wasn't necessary and would have led to some higher property taxes. The issue also divided rural senators, putting those who saw the taxes a property protecting Nebraska agriculture against opponents who fought to kill it in hopes of lowering property taxes. Now, the measures would have allowed many of the state's natural resource districts to continue charging three cents per one hundred dollars of assessed property value to pay for groundwater management projects. That's a key part of their efforts to comply with state mandates to use less water. The tax is set to expire June 30th, and lawmakers rejected a proposal that would have kept it in place through mid-2026. Now, the tax would have totaled up to $45 on a home with a taxable value of $150,000. As Senator Kurt Friesen said, this is a tax I've always felt we should pay. He's a farmer from Henderson who sought to extend this sunset date. Check out more news at RuralRadio.com. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
5: We Support Agriculture, a coalition of livestock stakeholders, has received numerous reports of livestock and agricultural haulers being pulled over. This comes despite the recent additional 90-day electronic logging device waiver issued earlier last week. Now the organization is calling for more flexibility from local enforcement agencies. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Twisk reporting. We Support Agriculture is a coalition comprised of the Nebraska Cattlemen's Association, Nebraska State Dairy Association, Nebraska Farm Bureau Federation, the Nebraska Pork Producers Association, and the Nebraska Poultry Industry. The organization says that they represent livestock haulers who recognize their obligation to provide the well-being of their animals and to raise them in a humane and compassionate manner. Kristen Hasselbrook is the WSA Executive Director, and she joins me now as we discuss this issue. Now, Kristen, tell us about the reports you're getting from all across the state.
6: We've actually heard, had numerous reports from different areas of the state where livestock producers have reported that their livestock haulers, um, as well as livestock haulers themselves, have notified us of being pulled over by care enforcement um, wanting to talk about the ELD mandate and exemption, and the waiver that's in place right now, and the need to be carrying a copy of the Federal Register exemption notice.
5: That's where this gets a little tricky, Kristen, because last week another exemption was placed Do producers and livestock haulers have to have the latest copy with them at all times?
6: So that does make it a little tricky. We're recommending that individuals carry just a copy. We do not actually have the most recent uh, Federal Register exemption notice. We're hoping that it will come out published today. Um, We're still waiting to see if it shows up in today's Federal Register, but until that time, the existing exemption, um, which can be found on our website and on our social media pages, will suffice.
5: Now, Kristen, this issue is really all about the hours of service, not necessarily the ELD side. Talk about that.
6: The hours of service are a restriction on the number of hours that a livestock hauler or any hauler in the country can drive before needing to take a rest, and We support agriculture, and our coalition strongly support safety measures being in place. We want safe roads. We want safe hauling of livestock. However, uh, one of the interesting parts about hauling livestock is that it's actually recommended that you not stop driving. And that's to ensure the best care for the animals inside. It can become extremely problematic if livestock are required to be held on a vehicle. Really, in any circumstances, it can be very problematic for their health and well-being. It's very different to haul livestock than, say, refrigerators.
5: Kristen, what else would you like to add, either in terms of the hours of service requirement or the electronic logging device mandate?
6: Drivers need to be very aware that this exemption isn't doesn't mean that they can just drive without um, any restrictions or any regulation. They, must carry a copy of the Federal Register notice in their trucks at all times. It's very important. We've had reports that carrier carrier enforcement in Nebraska are, are pulling people over and specifically asking for a copy of that Federal Register. And so we just really want livestock producers and their haulers to be aware that they need to have that copy of the Federal Register.
5: We have been talking with Kristen Hasselbrook. She is the Executive Director of We Support Agriculture. We Support Agriculture, which is a coalition of livestock stakeholders, is working on this issue actively. And to learn more about their work, you can head over to their website. It's wesupportag.org. Reporting from the Nebraska Innovation Campus Studio, powered by the Nebraska Soybean Board, and brought to you in part by the Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen.
2: Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Sweet 16 of the men's basketball tournament is set following a roller coaster ride on the opening weekend. Fifth seed of West Virginia rounded out the field with a route of Marshall in the East Regional game in San Diego last night. Mountaineers will take on top seed of Villanova in the next round in the Midwest. Top seeded Kansas will face off against fifth seeded Clemson in Omaha, while second seeded Duke will take on 11 seeded Syracuse. In the West region, the highest remaining seed is Michigan. Third seeded Wolverines will face off against seventh seeded Texas AM, and fourth seeded Gonzaga battles ninth seeded Florida State in the other game. And the bracket is even a bigger mess in the South, as fifth seeded Kentucky will face ninth seeded Kansas State, while seventh seeded Nevada battles 11 seed Loyola Chicago. K-State coach Bruce Weber says this tourney just shows the parody of college basketball.
7: Vulnerability of every team. You've got to come to play. Uh, you've, got to, you know, you've got to stay away from injuries. Obviously, Virginia gets an injury. We get an injury. Purdue has an injury. So many injuries down the stretch here. But, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, it's what makes March Madness special.
2: Another basketball news, Nebraska Wesleyan is bringing a trophy back to Lincoln as the Prairie Wolves men's basketball team claimed the program's first-ever national title with a 78-72 victory over Wisconsin Oshkosh in the NCAA Division III men's national title game on Saturday night. That matchup was played in Salem, Virginia. Cleveland Cavaliers today announced that head coach Taron Liu will be taking a leave of absence from the team. Lou, who had not previously disclosed the illness or its symptoms, said he's been suffering from chest pains, a lack of sleep, and other troubling symptoms. Doctors, however, have reached no conclusions as to what the exact issue is for the former Huskers star. Over the weekend, North Platte native Danny Woodhead announced on social media that the former Shadron State star was retiring from the NFL. After not receiving a single Division I scholarship offer to play football, he went on to have a very solid career after starring in Shadron State. He scored 32 career touchdowns and had almost 5,000 yards of total offense during his nine NFL seasons. Of course, he played for the Jets, Patriots, Chargers, and Ravens. Had his most productive year while with the Chargers in 2015 when he topped all running backs with 755 receiving yards and total more than 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Husker baseball team managed a weekend split against Northwestern State with a 7-6 win yesterday at Hawksfield. Huskers scored six runs in the third inning and added another one in the seventh. They're on the road this weekend. They will travel to Tulsa, Oklahoma to face Oral Roberts in games tomorrow and Wednesday. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Forecast for
8: Nebraska tonight. In eastern Nebraska, rain likely through the night tonight with snow in the evening. Also, patchy fog. For central and western areas, a chance of rain and snow overnight. Lows around 30 in the east and central to around 20 in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts assigned a rule change that will make it easier for military spouses to teach in Nebraska if they recently arrived from out of state. Rickett says the rule change is a way to lift a regulatory burden on spouses who want to work in the state. It's most likely to benefit the areas around Offutt Air Force Base in Bellevue. The previous rules required teachers to get a temporary three-year teaching license while actively working towards a full-time Nebraska teaching certificate. That didn't work for many military spouses who frequently
2: move around the country. So this is a way to allow them to teach, especially, again, if they had to have a teaching license in another state, they had to be teaching at an accredited school, but it's just a common sense way to allow somebody who already has those credentials to be able to come to Nebraska
8: and start teaching. Nebraska Education Commissioner Matt Bloomstad says the rule change is a common sense approach to accommodate those who want to teach. Omaha Mayor Gene Stothert is endorsing Bob Evnen for Nebraska's Secretary of State. Evnen's campaign announced the support today from Stothert, a fellow Republican. Evnen is running against Democratic candidate Spencer Danner and Republican Deborah Perel. Evnen of Lincoln served on the State Board of Education for eight years. He's a member of the Nebraska Republican Party Executive Committee and has also served as legal counsel for the party. The GOP primary election will be held in May, and the general election takes place in November. Evnen is looking to replace current Nebraska Secretary of State John Gale, a Republican who is not seeking election. Officials have confirmed that a mountain lion was spotted in northeast Nebraska's Thurston County. The Winnebago Wildlife and Parks Department says that a photo of the mountain lion was taken east of Winnebago on Thursday. Landowner Matt Morgan says he found a deer carcass in a tree on his property earlier last week. He says a trail camera he set up caught a photo of the mountain lion as it walked past. Legislation designed to make Kansas schools safer from gun violence has passed a House committee. The bill, endorsed by the Appropriations Committee, would require schools and other state agencies to establish guidelines for fortifying schools against armed threats. It also would provide $5 million for safety measures like metal detectors and hardened glass. The Kansas House will consider the bill next. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
9: Taking a look at pests. In Cover Crop Systems, I'm Shaley Peters. Joining you now on the Rural Radio Network, our guest today, Justin McMechen. He's a crop protection and cropping systems specialist with Nebraska Extension. And, Justin, we're going to talk about just that. Give us an update as far as that's concerned first off here today, Justin.
10: Sure, yeah. So, in, in general, in, in cover crop systems, we can find a variety of different insects uh, based on some old studies that were done. Um, and some newer ones have just emerged, but there are both pest and beneficial insects in these systems. And uh, most of the calls I get are on pests, uh, but there are uh, a number of studies out there that indicate that there are insects in these systems uh, that uh, certainly help the bottom line uh, for a grower in terms of, say, uh, aphids, soybean aphids, uh, keeping their populations low, a study that was done in Minnesota. And then uh, western corn rootworm with uh, slender wheatgrass in South Dakota, and a number of others sprinkled around that. Um, but uh, those types of studies really highlight, you know, how we need to manage these systems for for pests. We see a lot of different uh, potentials, and uh, these are studies done outside of Nebraska, and so we need to be cautious as we translate those to our state. Um, but we can find cutworms potentially in these systems that that can be a major pest or or problem. Um, we can find stink bugs. Uh, we can find, uh, um, uh, you know, different types of, of, uh, of pests like that in the system. Um, you know, uh, sea corn maggot and other things, but it really depends on how the cover crop is terminated, uh, possibly when it's terminated, uh, and which cash crop is following. So are you, are you following with corn or soybeans? Uh, so th- those are all questions that kind of underlie, uh, whether or not something might be an issue. And, and unfortunately we're, we're learning with growers, uh, for our state. Uh, What are some some key issues? Uh, So so lots to learn uh, this coming spring.
9: And so now we're going to narrow it down just a little bit and look at a fairly new problem, that wheat stem maggot. It's something you guys saw come into play last year and you're urging uh, producers to scout their crops for. And as I mentioned, it's a fairly new problem for you guys. You're kind of keeping an eye on.
10: Yeah, so, uh, we got calls in in late May of last year where we, we found this insect and, and it was in corn and, uh, wheat stem agate is not normally found in corn. It's been but a few cases in the past where they, they've seen it in there and we don't have any, uh, hard information on it. Uh, but essentially what happened was growers either had a wheat or rye cover crop that they were terminating that spring and it was cool and wet. They had difficulty controlling it. And, uh, for a large number of these growers, they ended up planting into a green cover crop. So green planting. Uh, conditions and as that cover crop died uh, those wheat gum maggots that were feeding in the, the wheat or rye uh, cover crop essentially moved from it uh, to the corn to complete development at least that's what we think based on the information we have so far as that the larvae simply were looking for another close host to finish their development and uh, as a result uh, we saw some some pretty significant impacts in in these cornfields that we looked at uh, some uh, with you know 50 percent or so uh infestation or symptomatic plants uh, resulting in about thirty bushel yield losses. Uh and so we've we've categorized kind of what the characteristics were and probably the most important thing from that is is uh this later termination or closer termination to corn planting.
9: And then of course the important how to fix you haven't really found a silver bullet per se for this problem. It's kind of a work in progress for you guys.
10: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, I mentioned at the start, we have a number of beneficial insects that are in these systems too and and so I think a primary number one thing a grower should be thinking about or consult our egg professional is getting out there and, and determining if these insects are even present. And, and they could follow us uh, because we're actually sweeping. Uh, we're using a sweet net to sweep these cover crops. Actually, we've been doing this the last two weeks, even though it's been quite cold and we don't expect to see them. Um, we're determining if the adult uh, uh, of the sweet stem egg is even present in these fields yet uh, to lay any eggs uh, and begin the process of essentially uh, increasing the risk for a grower, uh, as they terminate that crop. And so we'll be posting whenever we find the first adults in the state, uh, that are moving, we'll be letting growers know because it's our best indication, uh, from what we've seen that these probably were, uh, adults that moved in the spring and laid eggs into cover crops. And that's where risk started, not last fall. Um, we haven't found any eggs on anything we sampled yet to, to, confirm anything from last fall. Um, but you know, as a grower, let's say they find, uh, these, these adults in their field, and they're really concerned about, okay, what do I do now? I've, I've heard a lot uh, from consultants and others saying, well, can't I just tank mix an insecticide with my herbicide when I terminate? And I know the large majority of people are using Roundup or glyphosate to terminate uh, their cover crop. Uh, and so that, that has delayed effects, you know, roughly 11 days or so before we'll see uh, significant death and maybe less depending on the conditions. But regardless, those insects aren't going to immediately move uh, from that cover crop until it's... Uh, closer to death and we're determining when that is uh, but they if they want to get control the best recommendation i have for them is to apply their herbicide if they know they have pest presence and then wait uh, 10 to 11 days and then apply their insecticide which would then have enough residual to possibly catch those moving uh between the, the cover crop and uh and their their corn crop
9: and then, of course, I know you guys love when you can get feedback from producers and be able to help them really establish that relationship. So what's the best way to do that, Justin, as far as opening up those lines of communication?
10: Yeah, the fastest way to get a hold of me is through Twitter. So you can use my first and last name, and, and you'll find me on Twitter. Watch is also a great place to get this information, too. And uh, they can certainly look me up on the web. Uh, but if they, they find themselves in an issue this this spring, I would I would be happy to know about it uh to help them uh gain a better understanding of their operations so we can utilize their ground to make better uh, management decisions going forward. Uh we'll have a number of things that we'll be posting as we learn uh through some controlled studies we have set up. And so if they watch Crop Watch for that, they may learn Uh, some of those things to make management decisions for for the following year.
9: All right. Thanks so much, Justin. Justin McMeckin, and he is with Nebraska Extension, a crop protection and cropping systems specialist. For more on this, visit ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
11: Patent on the Rural Radio Network now we delve into the closing livestock futures with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities and Joe, a day in the red for sure.
7: Oh absolutely uh, some, <clears throat> an awful lot of triple digit losses throughout the entire uh, livestock complex uh, uh, it's just not a good uh, Monday to get started this week uh, cattle all triple digit losses including the feeders and uh, it uh, continues to be uh, pretty much just uh, some liquidation, but I think a lot of fear that uh, we're going to see uh, cattle numbers uh, grow a little bit bigger. Some of the pre-report estimates for the uh, cattle on feed report uh, have uh, some increased uh, uh, placements, and uh, so that has put a little bit of fear in the uh in the market and that's what generally uh, runs the market anyway is fear Uh, cutouts didn't help any today they were a little bit lower on the choice a little higher on the uh, select very light uh, test bill Uh, didn't hear of any cattle uh, trade today at all Uh, some suspect that we would see uh, uh, prices drop off this week anyway so uh, but not not significantly But that didn't stop the selling barrage that we got into. And a lot of it coming from uh, the equity markets, too, which were under a lot of pressure, too. Fear of trade uh, wars uh, expanding. So that put a lot of pressure on. Over in the hogs, same thing. Lower cutouts, uh, lower prices.
11: That's Joe Teal with Great Plains Commodities joining us talking the livestock futures again. Triple digit loss is hard on the Rural Radio Network.
1: An update on the beef checkoff from the new chairman. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I had the opportunity to catch up with Joan Ruskamp, who is the new Beef Board chairman. She's from Dodge, Nebraska, and she talks about some of the things that they're working on for 2018.
12: Well, the checkoff has the framework that we use as a long range plan. And so every five years, uh, industry wide leaders from across the board, from the farm to the fork, really gather for a year ahead of that planning and strategizing on what, what are the uh, most important priorities on um, where is beef going and how do we, because the focus of the checkoff is to always build beef demand. And so, um, the, The long-range plan is our map, it's our guide into funding, we have six budget categories set forth in the act and the order, consumer information, industry information, foreign markets, producer communications, promotion and research and so out of those budget categories our board contracts out to different um, contractors projects that they'll do and and in the end, we're hoping that we're increasing deep demand and we're showing that we are um, and that our investment has value because we also evaluate the programs that we do with what we call an evaluation committee. And so this past week um, for several days in Denver, our new board members uh, received a brain full of information <laughs> on all of this. And so, and then they also will get to, to um, we always like to have people kind of pick, what their program committee interest would be and so out of the long-range plan and those budget categories we have program committees safety nutrition and health innovation export growth and consumer trust and every board member sits on one of those committees and actively engages in directing the initiatives of what contractors will do and then eventually send their comments and feedback on to the operating committee so that the best funding can be done to again keep driving the beef demand
1: so for you what has been the most exciting part it's
12: always the people Um, the the checkoff is all about producers the producers are the ones engaged in making all these decisions leading the conversation but you know deciding what will be funded and getting to know these producers, so I have this great opportunity to get to know. We had seventeen of the twenty new board members in um, Denver, and just getting to know people from all across the nation and the the um, part of the process they're in, whether it's a ranch or or whether it's an importer, because they're also part. They pay the check off as well, and just getting to know. I mean, when you get down to it. We're all families, um, we're working hard on our farms and ranches or or, whatever area we are in the beef industry and we care passionately about what we're doing and so just the opportunity to really get to know people and people who really have great high standards of integrity in, in what we're going to do and holding ourselves accountable to how we spend those dollars. Well, we have in the budget categories, we have a bucket called producer communications where um, right now, we're kind of revamping that to see how we can better reach producers with everything we're doing. That's always a challenge because we don't have the money to invest in a lot of print material or or commercial time um, just to reach producers.
1: Joan Ruskamp, chairman of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Mm-hmm.
11: Clay Patton with a market minute on the rural radio network. May corn settling at 375 even, down 7 and 3 quarters. July, 383 and a quarter down 7 and 3 quarters. Soybeans May, 1022 and a half, down 27 July, 1033 and a half, down 26 and 3 quarters. Chicago wheat May, 450 and 3 quarters, down 17 July, 467 and 3 quarters, down 17 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat May, 470 and a quarter, down 29 and a quarter July, 488 even, down 28 and a half. In the the livestock ranks: We had April live cattle settling at a buck twenty twenty-two, down a dollar two. June a buck ten fifteen, down a dollar sixty. Feeder cattle March a buck thirty-eight forty-five, down a dollar fifty-two. April a buck thirty-eight twenty, down two dollars. Lean hogs April settling at sixty-three fifteen, down to thirty. May settling at seventy sixty-two, down to twelve.
13: Yeah, you got a lot of stories. I think uh, you know a lot of the fundamental stuff is going to be focused on the uh Kansas story, you know, south of you guys getting that moisture. But I think a lot of this has to do with Chinese tariffs and, you know, the expectations of big uh a big movement announcement uh, against the Chinese or against the U.S. in in coming days. Uh, there's fear of that you've seen it in the hog markets, cattle markets, you know, even the stock market today is really getting rolled in some of the deferred contracts. So, um, you know, trade wars are never going to be good in the short term. I think in the long run, prices should be pretty stable. But uh, in the short term, you're going to see these these kind of jostles push push folks to the sidelines.
11: And technically, where are we looking for points of support here?
13: Well in and, and we you're probably looking somewhere down in the low four eighties. That was really where we, we started this kind of ramp in the last segment of it. Uh and corn, we're right here. I mean I, I I think you could maybe make the case we go down below 390s, high 380s for Dees, but I still stand by the story of your corn. is Corn is a summer crop story, so whatever it does in the short term, it's going to do. It's probably going to be negative as required, but as we get into the, the new crop story, I just don't think we're going to get the acres here that's going to make uh, you know, the carryout look too small, regardless of yield. So I'd be holding on to what you can. Look to sell it this summer. It's kind of the game plan right now.
11: That is John Payne with Daniel's Ag Marketing Service. For more information, go to danielsagmarketing.com. As we take a look here again, lower across all grain contracts as well, triple-digit losses in the livestock. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.